Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hello there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to another episode of the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. Today, we are talking about parenting um, because it is the hardest job you will ever have, but also literally the best job in the world. Now, if you have absolutely no interest in having kids, I completely understand. Um, This episode might still be relevant for you because we're going to be processing some cycle breaker shit. Um, So, you know, regardless of whether you have kids or whether you want kids, I think this episode speaks to the neurodivergent experience at large. So hopefully you still get something out of it. I would love to uh, hear your takeaways if you want to email me at megan at neurodivergentmagic.com. So let me know if you get anything out of this. And without any further ado, let's talk about parenting as an autistic person. So for some reason, a lot of people have this misconception that autistic folks can't be parents or can't be good parents. Um, And that's very silly to me because autism is highly genetic. So most of the time someone is autistic because they have an autistic parent because someone had a kid, you know, Um, that's how we keep passing down our autism. And um, so it's it's just silly. Um, you can absolutely be a wonderful parent, just like with anything. Um, being a good parent has very little to do with your neurotype and everything to do with your intentions. What I mean by that is it doesn't so much matter how your brain works. You will find ways to work with your brain to connect with your kid. What matters more is what you intend to create between you and your children, what type of relationship you are determined to build or determined to do your part to build. Now, disclaimer, I am not a parenting expert. I have one kid, he's two, and he's precious, and I love him very much. Um, But I I completely understand that if you have six kids, our experiences are probably very different. So I am not here to tell every neurodivergent parent um, that there is one universal experience for us and I have universal advice (laughs) or anything like that. I'm just here to talk a little bit about what it's like for me to parent as an autistic person and um, what I am learning from being a cycle breaker and, you know, dealing with some generational trauma bullshit that I am determined that my kids will not have to deal with. And that being said, I have already made about a million mistakes and he's only two. I already have regrets and have things I know I would do differently if I were just in a more regulated place or if I had only known, you know. So let's just dive on into it. Let's talk about parenting and self-regulation because I truly think that being able to regulate yourself is at the core of being a good parent. And that sucks because I suck at regulating myself. Or let me rephrase that. I don't suck at regulating myself. I'm definitely, 
have an edge over some people, I'm sure, because of my years and years in therapy. Um, but it's definitely something that is difficult for me. It requires a ton of effort, whereas I think some people can regulate a little more naturally. Um, but I don't. Every time I self-regulate, it is so intentional and so hard. Um, <laughs> and that means that parenting is often a struggle. So one of the reasons I struggle to self-regulate as an autistic person is due to sensory overload. So I am not overly sensitive to my physical environment. I am somewhat sensitive. I would say I'm probably on the higher end of non-autistic folks, but on the lower end of autistic folks, if that makes sense, um, when it comes to sensory sensitivities. And that can contribute to my overwhelm. But honestly, I am very emotionally sensitive. This is where I tend to struggle the most. If there is emotional input in my day, um, I can really only handle so much before my cup overflows and I like coping becomes so much harder. Honestly, yesterday is a great example. So yesterday I was starting to hit my breaking point when it came to work stress. Um, I'm usually very good. I eat work stress for breakfast because I love my work. And so that stress often turns into excitement. And so work stress usually doesn't get to me. What was getting to me is because I have been very, very busy this week, I have not had as much time to work on the business as I usually do. Um, and therefore, all of that excitement had to be put on the back burner. So it turned back into stress and it just kept piling up because I couldn't convert any of it into excitement and get work done because I didn't have time to work. So I had a lot of work stress. That was emotional stressor number one. Then to cope with the work stress, I was like, oh, I'll put on a comfort show. I'll turn on Gilmore Girls. Now, for anyone out there living with uh, generational trauma and trying to be a cycle breaker. Uh, Gilmore Girls can be triggering as fuck <laughs> because the whole show, even though they don't out and out say it, is about generational trauma. And I got triggered, basically. I got very triggered and very upset and just started sobbing for probably an hour. Um, just crying, pacing around my house and crying, trying to get the crying to stop. Um, and then I couldn't. And, um, basically all of this added up to, I was not very present for my kid yesterday. I was either sobbing, which obviously makes it difficult to, you know, pay attention to a little kid. Although I honestly did my best. Like I would wipe my tears and be like, oh, sweetie, that's amazing. But he can clearly tell something's off. He's not dumb. He's two. Um, anyway, <laughs> and if I wasn't crying, then I was likely on my phone trying to distract myself to keep myself from crying. And that obviously makes it so I can't be there for him either. And this is something that I have done before and something I will likely do again. Does that make it right or good or what I want to be doing? No, <laughs> but it is the inevitable result of being a very emotionally sensitive human being. Um, I know that I'm going to run into this problem again. What I've got to do is find better ways to cope and address 
my needs in those moments. Hello there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. I just wanted to interrupt this episode really quick to tell you all about the Neurodivergent Magic Program. This is a program designed to help you cope with executive dysfunction, which is something that almost every neurodivergent person experiences. If you don't know, executive dysfunction is a lot of things, but basically it boils down to you want to do the thing, you are trying to do the thing, and you just can't, and you feel awful. What this program, the Neurodivergent Magic Program, does is it helps you cope with executive dysfunction through a combination of practical and emotional tools. We'll cover body doubling and building momentum, but we'll also talk about the shame that is often deeply rooted in a lot of neurodivergent people because we grew up in a neurotypical society that wasn't accepting of us. And if you're thinking, what in the world does shame have to do with executive dysfunction? Um, kind of everything. And I would love to teach you about it. So this is a program where the whole goal is to teach you to get shit done in 24 hours or less. So if you are really struggling with your ability to accomplish tasks and to feel good about it, that is what this program is designed to help you with. And I can't wait to see you there. Check out the show notes for the link to join or send me an email at megan at neurodivergentmagic.com. Because I grew up undiagnosed autistic and I grew up a very sensitive child in a family that did not appreciate sensitivity, I grew up thinking that whenever I was having these meltdowns, these breakdowns, um, the only way to handle it was to stuff it down, to hide it, to pretend it wasn't happening, and to shame myself violently for being the wrong type of person. And I'm still very tempted to go back to that coping mechanism of shame. Um, that was the way I stayed, you know, emotionally as safe as possible, you know, like I was always very physically safe growing up and everything, very well taken care of, but my emotions were often ignored uh, at best or, you know, at worst, made fun of and teased. Um, and nowadays I'm really trying to shift away from that shame because even though it did keep me safe at one point, now it only causes further harm. So I have got to start asking for what I need in those moments so that I can be present or if I can't be present, someone can be present with him. Um, and, you know, that's hard to do when you're a stay-at-home mom and there's not always somebody to turn to, you know, especially with the pandemic and everything, like our support systems have kind of been cut down. You know, I don't have a local babysitter I can call uh, if I need to get some work done or even if I'm, you know, very emotionally dysregulated and I'm like, hey, could you just come over for like two hours and play with him while I have a little freak out? Um, <laughs> I don't have a local babysitter because for the last two years we have, you know, not gone out or done anything. We have stayed in our home. Um, and I don't know. I, I just think asking for what you need is important, but is often difficult. And I want to acknowledge that. Sometimes we present these solutions like, oh, you just have to ask for your needs to be met. And it's like, first of all, there's a lot of emotional challenges for me to ask for my needs to be met when I, there's a part of me that still doesn't see my needs as valid. But there's also a lot of practical barriers. <laughs> and so I just I don't want to gaslight you into thinking like, just ask for help and everything will be fine. Um, I do want to recognize that there there's a lot of barriers to getting your needs met. Um, but I do think 
making our own needs a priority makes us better parents, especially, I don't know, especially when we're neurodivergent or maybe that's true of everyone. It's hard for me to know. I know the neurodivergent experience and I know that for me, I'm a better mom when my needs are being met as fully as possible. So let's get specific. What are some of the ways that as an autistic person, I accommodate myself to be a better mom? The first thing for me is routine. We have a weekly routine, my son and I. We get up, we get dressed, he watches mouse while I uh, film some TikToks. Then we go to the YMCA where he gets to play with some other kids and I get some work done in the lobby. And then we go home and we have lunch and then he takes a nap and I either get more work done or I take a nap as well, depending on how I'm doing that day. Um, and then he gets up. If it's nice, we go play outside. Or if it's not nice, we get his car track out and play inside. Um, I often end up on my phone during this time. I am working on that. I'm trying, again, to be more present. Um, but I'll admit that that is a weakness of mine. Um, I, I am working on it. And then we start getting ready for dinner. And then we eat dinner and we play a little more before bed. We read three stories and then we go to bed. We have a daily routine down pat down to a science, and it makes me feel so much better about my day. Now, with more kids comes less routine. I understand this. So if you're listening and you're like, well, that's great. I remember doing that with my first kid, but now I've got four. Um, so I do, I appreciate that this may not always be possible, but any amount of routine that you can implement into your life, especially if you're autistic, will probably help you a lot. The other thing I do is I keep same foods in the house, like all the time. They are always well-stocked. We've always got peach tea. We've always got mini raviolis. We've always got uh, hot dogs. French toast sticks. Um, I know these aren't sounding like the healthiest of options, but we also have yogurt and strawberries most of the time. Um, so <laughs> um, I just I make sure I have same foods because it reduces my decision fatigue honestly. Like, I don't have to decide what we're having for lunch. Every day for lunch, my son has a hot dog and a yogurt, and every day for lunch, I have mini ravioli and chocolate-covered almonds. Like, that's what we have, and it reduces decision fatigue, and it's delicious, and I don't mind having the same thing every day, and he doesn't seem to mind, so it works for us. Finally, I do not pressure myself to entertain my son at all times. I am a firm believer. This is something that I learned as a kid and actually didn't traumatize me, actually helped me, is that boredom is really good for kids. It makes them really creative. And I'm not saying, you know, neglect your child, never play with them. I'm not saying that, but... I don't have to entertain him every second of the day. Um, sometimes we play a game for 20 minutes and then he plays by himself for 40 minutes. And then we play a game for 20 minutes and he plays, you know, it. I play with him, of course, but I also do not, I am not in-house entertainment. <laughs> I am the housekeeper and also a business owner. I have a lot of hats that I wear and I let him see me wear those multiple hats. Honestly, I think that's, basically my accommodations. Uh, to be honest, I'm still looking for ways to accommodate the emotional sensitivity a little better. Um, that's always been my goal in life is to deal with my emotions in the healthiest way possible. But honestly, a big breakthrough I had recently is that it's okay to feel negative emotions. And like that blew my mind. Um, and I know it sounds very simple, but you know, that was not clear to me from a young age. And so, um, just accepting that negative emotions are part of life and are okay and are welcome in my life 
has like that's been a huge accommodation but I'm I'm always looking for ways to accommodate myself so um I think those are the biggest ways that I uh try to be a better parent um while dealing with my autism and everything um I hope this was helpful. And if you are also an autistic parent and you want to connect, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at neurodivergent underscore magic um, or TikTok at Meg Moxie. And I'll put those links and everything in the show notes. Um, So yeah, thank you so much for listening and I will see you next Saturday. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.